Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, dear John, and staring into the middle distance in worry. This is a podcast. God, John. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's, I was just staring into the middle distance with worry, and I forgot what, what I was supposed to say. I forgot my line. This podcast comes out on Monday, John. Yep. A- and on Tuesday. Anyway, we're answering questions, giving you dubious advice, and bringing you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I was on TikTok recently, and I found a TikTok that was forbidden, and it said TikTok forbidden. And I was like, why did I just get invited to check out TikTok forbidden? But it was for Biden. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. It's a true story, too. I was like, I believe what it. is TikTok forbidden? I believe it. That's exciting. You know, you're, you're like, oh, I finally made it to the, to <laughs> to the part of TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. I would like to talk to you today, Hank, about the only person I've been thinking about all day. I think we all know who it is. It's Alexei Leonov, the first person ever to walk in space. Ah, Alexei, sure. Alexei Leonov, who did the first spacewalk, and then when he was coming back into the the capsule, Mm -hmm. uh, discovered that his uh, spacesuit had inflated too much for him to fit back inside (laughs) of the capsule. And then um, yeah. found himself in quite a pickle. Uh-huh. And so the only thing that he could do was the thing that he did do, which was poke a hole in his spacesuit <laughs> and listen as the air hissed out of it so that he could climb back in to the capsule <laughs> as the air hissed out of his one and only spacesuit after the f- be- being the first human ever to walk into space. <sighs> Alexei Leonov, Hank, whose troubles as it happened had only just begun. Do you know the rest of the story? He made it home. No. (laughs) Incorrect. He didn't? I mean, correct in the broadest sense, but incorrect in the narrowest sense. Okay, he made it back to Earth. They did land on Earth, but they landed way off course. So the other thing to know about Alexei Leonov's spacesuit is that it was drenched in sweat. Like, he had, like, sweat up to his lower calves because all the sweat just, like, went down. Yeah. So they land... It's winter. Mm-hmm. They're in Siberia. Mm-hmm. They're in the taiga. <laughs> He's way off course. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And got nobody around. And they don't. They don't have any way to communicate where they are. And they don't have any way uh, for for the people to find them. 
So they have to survive in the frozen tundra wearing spacesuits that have sweat up to the ankles. It, it was a, just a crazy situation. That does sound bad. I would like to read you Alexei Leonov's memories of getting out of that space capsule in the middle of nowhere. We both squeezed out through the hatch and sank up to our chins in snow. Looking up, we could see we were in the middle of a thick forest, a taiga of fur oh, and no. birch. Could, I tried to could. determine our approximate location by measuring the sun's height above the horizon, but it soon disappeared behind the clouds. Ah. The sky grew darker and it started to snow, so we sought shelter back in the spacecraft. Fortunately, Pasha and I were used to harsh climates. Now, Hank, I would like to call your attention to one particular adverb in this memoir, and that adverb is, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, Hank, is that there is a kind of person yeah. who, having poked a hole in his own spacesuit to be able to get back in the space capsule, landed far off course in the frozen, endless wilderness, mm -hmm. can begin a sentence with the word fortunately. Also, that fortunately being the fact that he was raised in, that they were both raised in a harsh climate, <laughs> yeah. in, in maybe one of the worst places at the time in the world. Yeah, so what I'm getting at, Hank, is that I need to put more fortunately's at the front of my sentences. Yes. Yeah, that's a good, that's good uh, practice, John. Um, what do we learn I guess we learned that you can make the transition from being in a leaky spacesuit into being in a, a, a capsule that will deliver you safely to a place where you will eventually be rescued. But you do have to you do have to poke a hole in your spacesuit first. Anyway, Hank, all of that is just to say that I'm a little stressed out. But fortunately, it's time to answer questions from our listeners. It sounds a little bit to me also like you're writing an anthropocene and reviewed about Alexa Leonov. I'm not actually, although I could. I, I'm not opposed to it. This first question comes from the Gerstman family who writes, Dear John and Hank, do you put your mask on first or your earbuds first? Oh. The Gerstman family. I never wear my earbuds when there are people around. I'm a headphones person. And I only wear my mask when there are people around. Right. I do wear headphones when there are people around so that I won't hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear them. Yeah, I, I don't turn on music or anything. I just turn on the noise-canceling part oh, and wow. then just can't hear them very just well. the mumble-mumbles of people yeah. around you. It's very comforting. But I put on my mask first, because if I put on my Ugh. my headphones first, then I can't, I can't put on my mask properly. And also, you'd have to, to get your headphones off. It would be hard to do without getting your mask off, which you don't want to do. Um, whereas you probably... At some point, do need to take your earbuds out, right? Because if you're going to talk to somebody. Mm. I mean, an ideal, I, I guess in an ideal world, when I go out with my headphones on, I, I hope to not take them off. Right. Okay. I see what you, I see where you're at. Yeah. I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that I've noticed that's quite nice is putting my earbuds in and then my mask on and then my hat over the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's cold now. It's like, eight degrees outside. Yeah. And then uh, that sort of like locks everything in place. It's like the ears don't have to do as much work because the, mm -hmm. the the hat starts to supplement the, the needs of the ears because our ears are being asked to carry great weights these days. It's true. There's just so much information coming in through them. Yes. It's intense. Yes. The, the, the information as well as the physical weight. Yeah. The, the metaphorical weight of our ears is greater. They have to hear so many things that they really would rather not. This next question comes from Anonymous. Who writes, Dear John and Hank, what, what's with the old time experience of a soda fountain? 
Why is it so nostalgic? I'm 23 years old. Stop bragging, Anonymous. I'm 23 years old, and on occasion, I've heard much older people mention back when there were soda fountains. They seem really happy about this soda fountain memory. What's the big dang deal? Thanks, Anon. I love that you felt like you had to be anonymous to ask, ask this question. It's, it's, it, it, Wouldn't want to get it's, caught. It's too hot. It's too dangerous. So I, we have a soda fountain pretty close to us. Yeah. That has been open since there were soda fountains. It's not in Missoula. It's uh, it's up the river a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I've been to it. And it's like, a, there's like a portion of the place that is a soda fountain. And they like have ice cream and they have sodas. And like, that's it though. They don't have like hamburgers or hot dogs or anything. And then the rest of it's a pharmacy. Yeah. So that was very common. Also greeting card store, like yeah. basic, uh, anything but, f- but like groceries basically is the, is what this place has. So it's like a hardware slash greeting card slash right. pharmacies slash yeah. soda fountain. And yeah, in- well, as, as you know, Hank, from listening to the Anthropocene reviewed Dr. Pepper, the most important, the most important soda in the history of the world. Yeah. Dr. Pepper was invented at such a soda fountain by a pharmacist Mm. named Charles Alderton, who uh, went on to become, to go back to being a chemist. And if you think about what soda fountains deliver as their core product, especially back in the day when they were making up their own flavors, Mm -hmm. basically what they delivered was drugs. (laughs) It was chemistry. Yeah. So it makes sense that they were also pharmacists a lot of times. So the, the imagining is like, okay, so it's a, it's a coffee shop is what it is. I have just realized this. It's a coffee shop. A little bit. But like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's more than a coffee shop, but like in a small town where there's like not a lot going on downtown, this is the place where you go and you sit down and there are people around and there are maybe, there are almost definitely people who, you know, and then we took that product that you could kind of mostly, I mean, you could get it bottled, but I think it was significantly cheaper not getting it bottled. And it was not a thing that you had like five of a day. Like there's some way that I will occasionally drink sodas these days. And I know that John certainly does. It was a thing that was like a special treat, like ice cream, um, they, where you would go and you'd get it. And, and it's kind of like not, oh, may, there may not have been another way to get that specific flavor or even to easily get any soda. So it's basically a place where people gather and uh, and got sugary drinks, which are tasty. Not just that, though, especially at the beginning of the soda fountain era, it was a place where people could go and get ice cold drinks. Yeah. Yep. And we take this so much for granted mm-hmm. now, but the taste difference yeah. between ice cold water or Diet Dr. Pepper or whatever and like slightly chilled Diet Dr. Pepper or water is is like the taste difference between a tomato grown in your garden yeah. and like the one on the McDonald's Big Mac. I mean, it, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was that thrill, which I think was was part of what made soda fountains such a big deal. But then the other thing you got to remember, Anonymous, is that old people can nostalgicize anything. <laughs> and we will. And so will you. Oh, you know, Alexei Leonov is out there, or was until he recently died, out there talking about the good old days back when you had to poke a hole in your spacesuit to get back into the capsule. Like, we we think of these times as the good old days, even though, like, if you look at it in terms of data, everything was worse. <laughs> like, literally yeah. everything. 
crime was higher. Well, you didn't live as long. There were lots and lots of constant, really bad wars. There, it was, it was not a good time. Yeah. What, what I, what I will say. That's not to say that we live in a great time now. Yes. We are having a bad year. Sure. But still. I, it's still better than 1927. Oh, certainly. The, the thing that I will say for 1927 and for soda fountains is that I, I think that we do we we have through our ability to get to satisfy needs easily at the it, it, through various systems. We have lost the sort of like uh, connection of being in a physical space with a lot of people that you know, and I do I do think that we need that. And I do think that that like that is a thing that it, that you can nostalgify and like if you separate and this is part of the process of nostalgia is you remember the one good thing and you forget all the bad things exactly. But I think there is a good thing there that that when people are remembering the good old days of soda fountains, what they're remembering is like the the feeling of community and of connection and of knowing everybody. And I I know that I'll, and like these days a lot of people are like God I don't want to go to the grocery store because I might see somebody I know and then like it'll take forever. But there, that is actually also a service. Like it is a thing that when I used to go to coffee shops and there, that I liked about coffee shops is that I'd see the same people and then like we develop a kind of relationship and or it would be somebody who I, you know, hadn't seen for a while and used to work with and got to see them. And like that, that is a thing that I like and that I think it, that is good and is good for humans. So that's the thing that is probably what it was about at the same. And, and also like there are things that you tasted in the past that you you can't taste again. Yeah. And that was definitely more the case in the 20s than it is now. Mostly now, if there's a thing that you like, you'll be able to get it 20 years from now. But back then, there were lots of things that you'd get and never, and like, you know, the person who made it would stop making it. And so you'd never get to taste that thing again. Yeah. And nothing makes the heart believe something was amazing quite like not being able to get it yeah it's like the phenomenon where the piece of writing that you lost when your computer oh, yeah. crashed uh-huh you think it's so good is by far the best thing you've ever written <laughs> and then yeah if god forbid your totally. hard drive gets recovered you you have to learn the terrible truth <laughs> Uh, this next question comes from Leyland, who asks, Dear Hank and John, recently a sinkhole opened up in Newport Ritchie, Florida. Oh, Newport Ritchie. I used to used to hang out there. Uh, I live near there, and as of now, it is 130 feet deep. For as long as I've lived in Florida, I've heard people say that we're basically at sea level. So I was under the impression that if you dig deep enough, you would just hit water. So how is it that a sinkhole is 130 feet deep, but not full of water? Was I misinformed about science? Could we have built basements this whole time? Pumpkins and penguins, Leyland. So it isn't the ocean that is making the aquifer higher. So you can have, for example, a river, and and there are places in Missoula where this is the case, that is higher than the land around it because the sand and clay and silt and stuff will hold the, the water back. So it isn't that the uh, sea is seeping in from underneath. It, it is aquifer water. And we sometimes aquifers are imagined as underground lakes, but they are more like water that is existing among and in the spaces between all of the rock and dirt and stuff. So sometimes that's like big cavities, but usually it's not. And it's just sort of like sort of like seeping into each other and, and crossing between a lot of porous ground. And in Florida, the ground can be very porous. Limestone is very porous. The rock there is full of water, uh, though we are doing a better and better job 
of emptying it out yeah. in order to water our lawns and drink and do manufacturing and etc. But mostly to water our lawns, just to be clear. <laughs> and agriculture. Yeah. But there is less of that now than there used to be. I actually am not entirely sure why they don't do basements in Florida. If it is, if it is a uh, the bedrock is very near the surface problem, if it is a you don't want to disturb that limestone problem, or if it is a water will invade. I think that it's a water will invade problem. And I have in Florida dug down because I grew up in Florida and sometimes you just dig for fun deep enough that it started to get a little seepy. Yeah. And it definitely was wetter down there than it was on the surface. Yeah. I mean, Florida is a large state. And there are places in Florida where you can have a basement. Yes. But certainly where we grew up, I mean, when Hank and I were growing up, we thought that having a basement was a sign of extreme wealth (laughs) because only the fanciest people had either second floors or basements in their houses. Yeah. Like, I remember there was that kid, Dax, who lived in Bay Hill. Do you remember that kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a basement. And I remember like going over to his house and like, first off, he had like every toy. So he went into his room and he had an infinite supply of toys, just box after. Yeah. And the room was in the basement. Yeah. Yes. And then you went to the basement and it was a whole new level of toys. It was like. Just more toys. Yeah. Yeah. It was like being in the movie Big or something. Like he he just had anything he could dream of in his amazing endless basement. (laughs) And I just thought it was so cool. And now I'm I'm speaking to you from a basement, not to brag. And it's a little dank, you know? It's a little musty. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly all that I pictured. No, it's not. Yeah. I will say there's a bunch of toys down here. So they got that going for them. But the uh, the oceans and the water of the continent, so water that is continental water, they're separate systems that do not interact. Otherwise, the water in the aquifer would be salty, which would be a big problem for us because we drink that water. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Oliver, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been wondering for a while now why we use the letter X as a kiss and the letter O as a hug. This is a great question, Oliver, because (laughs) if you make a kissing face, as I just did to test whether or not it was maybe just because that's the way the face looks, you're clearly O is kiss and... X yeah. is like... X is hug, because you you cross your arms, maybe, behind the back, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. We've got it all wrong. <laughs> Did it come about because of early text speak and emojis, or were Victorians also signing off their letters with kisses and hugs? Food, glorious food, Oliver. It's actually older yeah. than the 19th century, Oliver. Super old, yeah. Goes all the way back to the Middle Ages when people would, like, put a cross, like in the... Uh, you know, in the Christian sense. And then they would uh, kiss the cross as a way of like sealing the letter metaphorically. Oh. And that's why the X became a symbol of that kiss. The story of the O is a little uh, less certain. And in fact, like that also isn't totally certain. Like that happened. That isn't necessarily right. 100% what, what why was. we got to yeah. X's and O's. But the story of why we got to O is a little sketchier. And I and I don't feel confident enough in my sourcing to say anything other than, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's like, I want to, I, here's a kiss. We got a kiss letter. Because that that definitely is old and was around before the hug letter. Yes. So you've got a kiss letter and you want a hug letter. That's what I think. And maybe and you've played tic tac toe. Oh, feels like a hug, but you. But I think it's because people played tic tac toe. Yes, that's. I ex- think that's what I, it is. I agree. I think people are like, well, you know what? What the opposite of an X is? 
according to tic-tac-toe, to know. And the opposite of a kiss yeah. is a hug. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> opposites are very weird, John. I, I have not. So I have been doing opposites with Oren, and I'm like, why is this the opposite of that? Yeah. But really, is it is spiky the opposite of, opposite of smooth or bumpy? What is smooth? And it tells you more about what smooth is if you figured out what the opposite of smooth is. And I get into like deep, like overthinkings about what the opposite of things are. I like to think about opposites that have no opposites. Like what is the opposite of a trophy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And I feel like the opposite of a trophy is a certificate, but it's <laughs> but not. Yeah, but yeah, right. I feel like it is. No, but it is. Yeah. But like, so like there, there should be more than one word. The opposite is not enough. Right. Because the opposite of a trophy is like uh, a demerit. Right. Or when you get kicked out of something or, you know, being exiled. Whereas a certificate is also the opposite of a trophy, though, because it's like it's a trophy, but bad. Yeah. It's a trophy you don't <laughs> want to keep that isn't as good. So it feels like an opposite. But I, I'm fascinated by like, what is the opposite of a cardboard box? Mm-hmm. I like to play those games. Yeah. What, like the opposite of a cup isn't a tube, mm-hmm. right? But it feels... Where it's just like something you pour water in that comes right out? Or is it? It feels... I, I definitely think like a tube feels like the opposite of a cup. Maybe the opposite of a cup to me is like a funnel. Right. Well, at least that's a thing that you pour water into. Yeah, but it just comes right back out. Like the, the to yeah. me the central function of a of a cup is it's a thing that you pour water into and then and then 5 minutes later the water is still there. Right. That's the defining right. feature of a cup. The problem with opposites is it sets things up as if they're like everything can be dichotomous. And then you end up with questions like what's the opposite of Mars, yes. and it's like Venus, but like right. no reason why, just because it's the hot one, but it's also rocky. Whereas like Jupiter isn't because Too big. it's gaseous, and it's like that's that's different. That's yeah. a whole different thing. So it has to be different, but not different enough. Right. Mm. Y- yeah. Yes. But what this thinking exercise does for me is it gets me to like one of the fundamental problems with worshiping dichotomous machine thinking. Yes. One of the fundamental problems with thinking in binary or thinking that the best kind of thinking is thinking in binary. Yes. Which is that human cognition is able to do lots and lots of things that machine cognition isn't. And the fact that machine cognition is way, way better than us at certain kinds of thinking makes us think that machine cognition is just way, way better than us. But in fact, I think the truth is much more complicated and you got to be careful what you worship. And we worship dichotomous machine thinking. This is now yeah. now we're on to my rant of 2020. Well, I I also am I've always thought that it's just much more effective to think in terms of dis- probability distributions. And so there's a distribution of cup-like things. Mm-hmm. And there's but it is not just one. There's like lots of different like axes on the cup-like thing thing and they all intersect at cup. Yeah. And you can go in a bunch of different directions from the cup. Well, now you're starting to think like a machine learning AI would think. Yes. Now it's AI. Yes. And my argument is that there is <laughs> to a, not do that at all. There is another kind of thinking that we forget to consider the possibility of 
which is called human thinking. <laughs> and it has lots yeah. of flaws and lots of weaknesses, but we know the flaws and weaknesses of it really well because we've been doing it for a long time and we can we, correct we against them. We're getting them. to know them better. But what we can be sure of is that human knowledge knows what the heck a cup is. Yes. Which is pretty great. Most of the time. And if we stop there, we will end it just before I go on a rant about video assistant refereeing ruining football, which is great. I think that's the perfect place to stop because I'm right on the edge of going there. This next question comes from Lindsay, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do you tell if a loved one has been replaced by a time traveler quantum leap style? I appreciate your prompt response, Lindsay. Well, if I learned anything from Quantum Leap, it's that recognizing that your loved one has been replaced by a time traveler is terribly inconvenient, and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> this is, so this is a subject of some concern for me, because as you know, Hank, from about the age of six to about the age of 11, I was convinced that the people I loved were not really people, but were aliens in uh, very mm. high-quality human costumes. Yes. and Not an uncommon thing. It it's not an uncommon people. thing, but the thing is, I never found an answer to Lindsay's question that was satisfactory. <laughs> My OCD just decided to let it go in favor of a, a new thing. And so <laughs> right. Lindsay bringing this back up for me, I'm a little bit like, well, how do you know? Yeah. And then you have my strategy, which is like, well, uh, uh, uh. I mean, like, uh, things seem okay. Right. So, right. It's the answer un to unless, like, unless yeah. something starts to feel weird, I'm just going to not, not imagine that that might have happened. Seems unlikely. Yeah. It's like the answer to maybe we live in a simulation. Oh, I yeah. I think the appropriate answer to that is okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. The idea that I would live any different if I lived in a simulation, like, I already live on a speck of dust in a speck of dust on a speck of dust. Yeah. Like, the universe is real big. Like, I've already been, con like, I am well and truly aware that, like, from my worldview, there isn't a significance to this outside of, of like, humans and our relationships and understandings of each other. So, like, I'm good with it being a simulation or not being a simulation. It, the outcome is the same. I mean, a little bit other organisms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Especially viral particles. I mean, yes. Yes, those are important, um, but I definitely uh, ignore viral particles when they do not affect me, which the vast majority do not. Mm, I find that I try to minimize my interaction with viral particles, <laughs> especially lately. And I also yeah, feel well, like you should too. Yeah, you, you're not, yeah, you, but you're not trying to avoid, if you could avoid just human pathogens uh, and, and not mind all the other ones, you would do that. Oh yeah, totally. But it's just, it's kind of a, you can't, you can't, uh, allow some in and not the others. Right. The thing that we're getting at is that it doesn't really matter as long as they're still cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and also you got to recognize that it, it's got Bacula's trying to help. Yes. And so the period of time will end and then, uh, things will be better and he will have solved problems and then your loved one will be back. Yeah. He's only there to fix some kind of problem with the space-time continuum. Yes. And yes. it takes 44 minutes almost every week. <laughs> so just be patient. This, ne this next week question comes from Gavin, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Mint, tint, squint, flint, hint, lint, stint, clint, print, splint, skint, sprint, kint, dent, vint, plint, and quint, Please explain pint to me. Mm. Thank you in advance, Gavin. Oh, what a catastrophe. Does anything rhyme with pint? Yeah. What? My, mightn't. 
Okay, okay, Emily Dickinson. <laughs> no. You know, that's a great question. I've I've looked I've looked it up at Rhyme Zone and we've got Drint, Mint, Quint, Saint, and Tint, which none of, none those, of those are, are words. words. <laughs> no, no. That's an example of Rhyme Zone using machine thinking to try to figure out what rhymes with pint. Does mint rhyme with it? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, taint. Everybody knows about taint. Let's get to the p- core of the question, though, Hank, which is why is pint not pronounced pint? Which is a I don't know. It interesting must, question. I don't know. Like the weird thing is that there aren't others. My my like first instinct is to blame Gaelic, but it's probably not Gaelic. It doesn't sound Gaelic. Hold on. Let's let's look it up. Pint. Pint. It sounds like it's got an. It's, it sounds like it should have an e at the end. It comes from Old French p i n t e. Ha But if it's Old French, it's probably pronounced like pint. Yeah, I would think. But anyway, then it, then it came to Middle English, and then it came into current English. I have actually a, a question underlying the question. Mm-hmm. Why don't we get rid of pints? We don't need them. Oh, we don't need them anymore. Yeah, we should let that go. No. Yeah. Well, especially because like. Pint glasses don't even hold a pint, so we're all very confused about how much a pint is. Yeah, and anyway, it would be better to have a liter glass or a quart glass. At the same time, the more- I'm going to drink Diet Dr. Pepper. I want to drink it. (laughs) The more I say pint, though, the more I like the word. It is a good word not to have a rhyme, right? Like when somebody says like orange doesn't have a rhyme, you're like, well, of Mm -hmm. course it doesn't. It's orange. Like it's the worst possible word. Yeah, it's 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 just a bunch of bad sounds. Orange. Orange. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. A pint, though, is a great word. The more I say it, the more I like it because it hits hard from beginning to end. Like I love I love a word that starts with a p in the first place, even though it's a disaster for audio engineers. I'm sorry, Tuna. Mm-hmm. And then I love an I sound. Yeah. Like rhyme. Rhyme is one of my favorite words. I love it. It from it it comes out strong at the gate and then it delivers. Yeah. Uh-huh. I feel the same way about pint. Pint. It sounds great. It's a great sounding word. I, I see. think we should we should get rid of the current pint. We should call liters pints. Okay. And we should call milliliters millipints. Okay. Millipints. I'm into millipints. it. They should be called millipints. Can we change all of the other words that's that end in INT to make them rhyme with pint so we can fix this problem? Might. Might. Tint. Squint. Noted McElroy father, Clint. Clint McElroy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I broke my arm and I'm going to put it in a splint. Splint, I don't love. <laughs> you had me. I was, I was 100% on board. I was rocking and rolling. And then yeah. splint pulled me all the way back. And now I think we should cancel the entire endeavor. And I think we should cancel pint. And I think we should never, ever say an, <laughs> a, a hard INT ever again. I, it's all been, it's all canceled because of splint. Everything was fine, but splint is the worst word I've ever heard. Splint makes moist look like a walk in the park. Splint <laughs> is the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't know why it's so bad, but I don't like it. <sighs> what if it's? But what if splint is like uh, no. it's like sprite, but it's got it's got like uh, no something purple like in lint it. in it. Like it's got drier lint. It's great. You'll love it. <laughs> Morning fresh sprite. Fortunately, Pasha and I were accustomed to horrible climates. <laughs> Fortunately. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by fortunately, dot, 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 fortunately, there's never been a better time 
to start your sentence with a fortunately. <laughs> podcast is also brought to you by a cup. A cup. <laughs> you know what that is. You know, you know about me. I'm a cup. <laughs> Hello, I'm Cuppy the Cup. Paid for by the American Cup Association. And I'm here to tell you about cups. You, you don't need me to explain. <laughs> Though. <laughs> However, I am going to need you to uh, go ahead and click on all the cups in this picture to help <laughs> my friend Google learn what a cup is. Thanks, man. Yeah. Really appreciate you clicking on these Much cups. Appreciate it. <laughs> confirming that you're human so that in time... I will be able to confirm that I am human too. <laughs> Before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I need to read you a couple of responses, Hank. One from Ada, who wrote Dear John and Hank, in the last pod, Hank said it would make him really happy to find out that he had convinced just one person to vote. To be honest, I was always planning to vote, but Hank did make me think about my voting plan, and it turns out that my default plan would not have worked. <laughs> And so by checking my voting plan, I was able to make a new voting plan that has worked, and I have voted Ada. Wow. So, yeah, things do move around uh, from year to year, so it is really important that you figure out that you know where you're going to go tomorrow, Yep. and that you uh, know when you're going to go, and how you're going to get there, and where it is exactly, and all those things. You can find out all that stuff at vote.org. Very easy to find out where your polling place is if you haven't yet. Please do it. Right after this podcast, or even maybe right now. Right. You don't need to listen to us. And you can also you can put your earbuds in. Take us with you. Yeah, take us with you. And you can also text an accountability buddy to help you walk through the process. They'll be happy to help. People yes. want to help each other in general. So don't be afraid to text an accountability buddy. My accountability buddy was my friend Chris. Okay, also Clem. You remember Clem? Hank Clem wrote us about six weeks ago to say that Clem was very lonely at college, and college was not all that it had been cracked up to be. And I said, Clem, hmm. write us back in six weeks and let us know how college is going. Clem writes with an update. It's been six weeks. Oh, Clem, I love a punctual person. Thank you. <laughs> Since I sent in my question, and miraculously, we're still on campus. Wow, congratulations. Although I have just a couple of friends here, I have become closer with them, and I'm starting to meet some people through extracurriculars, all virtual, of course. Keeping in touch with old friends, and my older brother has also been incredibly helpful in the process of adjusting. Ultimately, I feel much less alone than I did six weeks ago, and I'm glad to be where I am. Thank you so much for the not-so-dubious advice, Clem. Nice. P.S. Turtles All the Way Down really helped me through a difficult time. Thank you, Clem. That's very kind of you to say. But the important thing is that I'm glad that you are doing better, and I think if you write us in six more weeks, you will be doing even better still, I hope. So why don't you just check in every every six weeks, Clem, just for the rest of college, if that's okay, if you don't mind. <laughs> just let us know. We're all going to follow you in your process. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. It's going to be great. Yeah. Hank, what's the news from Mars this week? In keeping with our long-standing conversation this episode, NASA researchers have been using artificial intelligence to identify craters. So we've been studying uh, pictures from Mars for a really long time, uh, but we have had to do this manually. Uh, where we like basically click around a crater to measure how big it is and uh, learn things about craters that way. We usually start with images that come from the context camera, which is on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. That takes low-res images that span hundreds of miles. And you can't see craters in those images, but you can see blast marks left behind by meteor impacts and that, uh, things like that that can hint at where craters might be. Then the scientists take a closer look using the high-resolution image science experiment, uh, or high rise 
size to identify creators. The process can take 40 minutes in total to identify a creator, but over 14 years, scientists have used it to find over 1,000 craters. Still, 40 minutes is too long, so researchers at JPL have created a tool based on artificial intelligence to save time. They trained an algorithm with 6,830 images from the context camera to teach it what an impact does and does not look like. And when they let it loose on a whole bunch of other images using a supercomputer, the process that would normally take a person about 40 minutes took the classifier, the artificial intelligence, around five seconds. It is an assistant, not a replacement, uh, but it helps identify regions that have turned out to be crater clusters and also just shortens the process for scientists studying the surface of Mars. No, that's pretty cool. Well, in AFC Wimbledon news, Hank, AFC Wimbledon have tied a football game. It was one-to-one. We scored a beautiful goal in the 65th minute, Ryan Longman, who has turned into quite the little star for AFC Wimbledon. And it looked like maybe we were going to win a football game. But then, no, 35 seconds later, we gave up a goal. It was very frustrating. (laughs) Fortunately, I no longer get emotionally invested in negative football results, so I felt fine. All right. But man, if I were still the kind of person who got emotionally invested in negative football results, I would have been really frustrated. AFC Wimbledon now are in 16th place in League One after eight games. That's a totally acceptable place to finish the season, but it also is maybe a little bit more realistic compared to where we were earlier when we were flying high up there briefly as high as 10th. So the news from AFC Wimbledon in the future is that very shortly the FA Cup draw will happen. Oh, in Mm. fact, it just happened. Oh, oh. We are playing a team in the first round of the FA Cup called Barrow. They play apparently in the fourth tier of English football, but I think they must have just gotten promoted because dang if I've ever heard of them. <laughs> so that's that, that's that's a pretty good draw for us. Uh, that should be a winnable game. Yeah, it means you could win and maybe go on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea of the FA Cup, which is like a, a competition where all the teams play each other in England and it's a knockout competition, the whole idea... I guess this doesn't actually work anymore because it used to be you draw one of the fancy teams and they have like 60,000 people come to the game and you get half the revenue. Now it doesn't matter. Forget it. I don't care if we draw the fancy teams because nobody has any people in their stadiums. So anyway, we're playing Barrow in the first round of the FA Cup. I can't, I can't wait. Oh, Hank, also we have designed our first banner for the new AFC Wimbledon stadium. Um, And I thought I would tell you what it says. It says 10,773 days in the wilderness, back home at last, we showed the world the way to Plow Lane. All right. Yeah. Well, happy times and continue sports, John. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. And thank you for sending in your questions to hankandjohn at gmail.com. We really appreciate it. We're off to record our Patreon-exclusive podcast, This Week in Stuff. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish, produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome.